0: short intro here for us. Um, hi, everyone, and welcome to today's masterclass with Rob Fisher of Marine Leia. My name is Antoinette Landejan from Cork and Fork in Washington DC. We are a premium wine store founded by a multi-generational flying winemaker originally from Champagne, France. I am delighted to introduce today's producer, Marine Leia. Marine Layer makes authentic cool climate Chardonnay and Pinot Noir from some of the best vineyards in the Sonoma Coast. The winemaking process includes incorporating organic farming, sourcing from heritage clones, hand harvesting, activating fermentation with native yeasts, minimal intervention winemaking, barrel fermenting the white wines and extended barrel fermentations for the reds. The wines are made in small batches and can be as little as four barrels of any one wine. The wines are made to focus on complexity, distinction, and longevity in the bottle. Our guest tonight is Rob Fisher. Rob is a Napa native and began his career in the wine industry more than 20 years ago at Domaine Carneros. Here he gained appreciation for wine, including the science and art of winemaking. For those joining us live, we'd love to hear from you. Place your questions in the chat and we'll get to them time allowing. We will move immediately into the presentation and before we jump over to Rob, I'd like to introduce Clint uh, Sloan. Yeah. Clint helped uh, facilitate this event tonight. He's the Southeast Mid-Atlantic Sales Manager for Valkyrie Wines, the importer of, the, of this particular brand. Clint, please say hi to the group and then we'll start off with Rob.
1: Sure, thank you all. And thank you, that Very good presentation and open for Rob. Uh, I live in Charleston and I cover pretty much D.C. down to Florida and Tennessee for um, Valkyrie and uh, Valraven and Marine Layer. I've been working with them for six years. So thank you. Um, Rob, go for it. Okay. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, uh, for joining us.
2: Uh, It's it's always a pleasure. I'm sorry. You know, we can't do this. In person, uh, as the world is uh, where we where we are, but uh, hopefully opening up very rapidly here. Uh, I'd love to get out on the road and and do a fe- and do events and, and shake hands. So, um, as Antoinette said, you know I'm here to talk about our new uh, passion project per se, uh, Marine Layer Wines, and uh, it's it's an exciting project. And um, I guess one thing I'll, I'll have us go ahead and start because I don't wanna hold anybody back from drinking wine. I think it's 7 p.m. there and it's about time to drink some wine. So I invite you to start with the first Chardonnay, uh, the 2018 area. So go ahead and pour it. I'm gonna start off with a little bit uh, about the company and the brand and um, a little bit about the mantra and the philosophy of what we're trying to do. And then I'll jump more specifically into the wines and that areas that you'll, you'll be kind of tasting along. And um, we'll go through the wines. So yeah, so thank you. Um, As Antoinette said, my name is Rob. I am a Napa native that uh, is born and raised here in Napa. We call ourselves napkins, Um, and I've made wine for 25 years, uh, mostly focused on Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, but it really runs the gambit. I've made Cabernet at BV, one of the you know more iconic uh, wineries in Napa. Here, it's all been really kind of. Anchored in Napa, but I've made wine up in Oregon, in New Zealand, all the way down to Santa Barbara within California, but with a real focus on kind of Burgundian varieties. Um, About six years ago, I I guess through throughout all of my experience um, in this kind of love for Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, I was it came pretty clear that you know some of the best uh, renditions of those two varieties were being grown on the Sonoma Coast, and so. Uh, Six years ago, I uh, had the opportunity to jump county lines and uh, jumped over to the Sonoma side of things and I love it over there. It's it's really beautiful. There's It's definitely very different than Napa. Some of you might have visited both the areas. Not too far, probably about 40, 40 minutes apart from each other, so I drive a lot um, but you know Napa is definitely a little more ubiquitous with, with Cabernet. It's cab country. It's a little bit warmer and as you push out west towards Sonoma, you definitely get more of that coastal and Influence. You know, we, you know, we have the, the benefit of the Pacific Ocean there. It's, it's really beautiful, rugged coastline. And with that, we get this marine layer, um, which is kind of the tribute of the brand, right? And so a couple of things, we, we have the fog um, that comes in from directly from the coast, but also from the bay, from the San Pablo Bay, and it kind of creeps up. And um, and then we have the wind as well too, and this phenomenon uh, from what's called the Pedalima Gap, which is kind of an opening in the coastal mountain range there, which acts like a big fan. And those two things really allow us to grow uh, really world-class Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. And a little more inland with it throughout Sonoma County, we can also ripen things like Cabernet and Zinfandel and and these later ripening varieties. So I was just enamored with that whole whole kind of range of things Um, and you overlay that onto the kind of geographical um, uh, just diversity across Sonoma County. And there you have it. You know, um, just just a plethora of, of great growing regions um, right in one place. So I decided to kind of take root over there. I still live in Napa. I'm I'm at home here, and I'll say that it's it's we've hit our first heat spell. It's uh it was 106 in Healdsburg when I left a couple hours ago, and it's about 103 here in Napa. So um, our first heat wave of of the season. But um, I'll talk a little bit about kind of this this season last season a little bit about the fire so i'll try to touch touch on a lot of things um and and i just really wanted to invite everybody to any questions that you have kind of along the way please throw them out to antonette she can pop them up and I, I really i love kind of the the interaction as it comes up so and i think questions real time as they come up in your mind are the best time to. To answer them as well too. So, uh, Marine Lair, uh, you know, it, I guess I can't start the story without telling kind of the, the grassroots uh, our grassroots project. So we used to own a brand called Banshee Wines that we started back in 2008, and and I always bring that up. Uh, we've since sold the brand, and um, it's it's worth talking about because that was kind of the the real introduction into Sonoma County and and this whole wine thing for us as a company. Um, It started as a very small kind of side project um, in 2008 when when the the market crashed. uh, We were able to to uh, obtain uh, some really righteous wine because people just weren't buying $60 bottles of of Pinot Noir. So uh, we, we got it. We bottled it. It was about 200 cases. And the concept was Hey, you know, if it's, if we have to drink it amongst family and friends, so be it, we can handle that. Um, They, the the band, the name Banshee was, was one of the the co-owners dog's name and the symbol on the label was this thing above the door. So it was really kind of this slapstick concept that they put together and lo and behold, you know, the, the whole vintage, that 200 cases sold in about six weeks and it spun off this project and this concept of really being able to go out there and, 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 and really getting into the wine industry, which I think um, can be quite intimidating, especially on the production side. I think uh, most this concept of like big money and big investment, which it is, but you can also start really small too, right? And, And grow it. And that's the neat thing about what of the story of our of our company really is it start. we started with really nothing and and, and just a lot of passion and drive and, and blood sweat and tears poured into it and, and here we are you know and and uh, we have several other brands kind of within the portfolio and we have an import business as well attached to the company too so we love uh you know at this point we're, we're pretty multifaceted and we're really, really proud of it i think we touch on a lot of different things and a lot of different price points but by and large marine layer is is our little baby so um, and, and Banshee allowed us to really explore Sonoma County. I, I kind of term it as this exploration of really kind of understanding what was out there. It allowed us to kind of meet a lot of different growers and form these relationships because our whole industry really is based on relationships, right? I mean, everything comes back around and you really get to know people and understand their philosophy. And so uh, that, that was a great kind of learning experience. We, we understood where we wanted to be and where we wanted to play and who the people that we wanted to work with. So Banshee was really integral in kind of this, this next step of things. So uh, Marine Layer, you know, when in 2018, I think we kind of conceptualized it in 2017 and, and, and really moved forward uh, in 2018. so this, these wines will be our first vintage that you're, that you're tasting here. And we really want to take some of the best vineyards and really those, those vineyards that really spoke True to the, the the really beautiful expression of of Pinot Noir and Chardonnay, more coastally influenced, and so we were able to really kind of cherry pick some of the best vineyards and the best growers that, that shared kind of like philosophical philosophical farming kind of uh, ideas, and um, and we've added to that too. And so the neat thing was uh, the the unique thing was with 2018 is it, it was a little bit bigger of a crop, and so. People had a little bit of extra fruit, and some of the vineyards that you could never get into, you know, that wouldn't even accept your phone calls or emails, uh, all of a sudden had a little bit of extra fruit. So that was another kind of key thing that let us, you know, allow us the, the gate through the gates of, of uh, Pinot Noir and Chardonnay Haven for sure. So, um, so here we are. Um, you know, we really like to play uh if you if, if you've been to california you know that 101 really kind of runs through the gut of sonoma valley it's sonoma in itself is really kind of um you know bowled in by the pacific range There's there's two ranges there's the pacific range and then um there's more the kind of the Mayacamas uh or that ends with sonoma mountain there and that's what really kind of buffers a lot um it acts as kind of a sink for for cooler air to kind of flow into um and so we really play kind of on the western side of 101 and even further out what will soon hopefully be its own appellation is west sonoma county we we talk about sonoma coast um and that's a pretty big uh undefined area and then within that you have the russian river and green valley Freestone Occidental and all these sub-AVAs is what we call them. Um, but there's a new one that is, is West Sonoma Coast, and that really is a distinct line that is really like Sebastopol West. And so that should be coming online right now. And I I, 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 I firmly believe in it. I think that there, it's just too big of an, an undelineated area out there. And there's just so much diversity. So, you know, we should demarcate it and, you know, give it give it a little more homage to, to what it really brings, too. So... Um, I, you know, the marine layer was a perfect name. It was actually one, one of the bottlings for Banshee, and we trademarked that we just really love the name and kind of the, the, the idea of, of everything that we have here harnessed into into two words marine layer, and you know that like I said, has everything to do with the Pacific coast. Um, You know, we wouldn't be able to do this without it. And so there's a few phenomenons that really play into that. I mentioned the Petaluma Gap, which again, is that opening kind of on the Southern end, truly just, just West of the town of Petaluma. Um, We have the Russian river too, at the mouth of the Russian river is an inlet. And through that comes, comes fog and wind as well. And then the San Pablo Bay from the South. So we have three kind of cooling mechanisms that, that, that really play into it. And so it can, it can be, you know, in the nineties in the middle of the afternoon, but it really cools off in the evenings. And that's, the big thing for, for these varieties is having a big diurnal kind of flux where it still cools off at night down into the, you know, it can, it can be 90 and then cool off into the fifties really quickly. So, um, that's, that's, that's what we love. Um, I think along with that, in terms of the wine style, you know, you really retain acid. I think Our philosophy, you know, on winemaking mine in general is if you do things correctly in the vineyard and that's planting the right variety, the right rootstock and the right orientation on the right soils, you know, you have very your only job is to not screw it up in the winery right kind of just usher it through uh, the fermentation process and so that's that's kind of the end goal for us and so you know achieving that balance in the vineyard uh, brings in balanced grapes that have you know balanced acidity we are you know short of being acid heads we do like a lot of acids and i think it brings a lot of liveliness and the chardonnays a little bit of tension a little bit of nerviness and those that's the kind of style that that we love and you know certainly marine layer is is stylized around the wines that we're inspired by and that we love drinking every day and a lot of those are european wines that you guys have a lot more access to on the east coast than we do over here uh but you know grower champagne chablis um white burgundy and 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 grand Cru burgundy all those you know those are those certainly laid a path for us in terms of style we're not necessarily trying to compare ourselves or trying to emulate anything that they're doing over there i think it's just a very different place and and that wouldn't be doing california or or france or any of the european countries any justice either so we do our own thing uh minimal input um, you know on the chardonnay you know these are sites that that are on the fringe Um, and you know when I say the fringe um, it's you know they're just these sites that are kind of tend to be high elevation very rocky or mountainous uh, sites Places that it's just not easy to farm. We, as Pinot Noir and Chardonnay growers, we you know, we we like a good challenge, you know, and, and if you really want to make something that's special, you have to be willing to go out there and take some risk. And, and, and along with doing these types of ventures, there's a lot of risk. And you know, Pinot Noir in particular is a really precocious grape to grow. Um, it doesn't it doesn't like to set a lot of, of fruit out there. It's hindered by a lot of things at bloom which we've just finished and that's when the crop sets and so there can be a lot of these these weather conditions or variables that that. um, You know will play into that as well to it doesn't it, you know, we really work hard to to kind of maintain balance in the vines I think there's a lot of places in California to grow Pinot Noir um, and but there's a lot of places also that are pretty mediocre Pinot Noir and that's I don't want to come down on anybody or any other growing region but I just think that there's these pockets of really special places where you just hit that and that you just walk into some of these vineyards and you just feel the happiness of the vines and this balance and they just exude it and you can feel it so those are the those are the special places that we're really looking for a lot of them are really small plots um, you know an acre it can be I have a Chardonnay vineyard in uh, Green valley that's literally eight rows um and so you know we're not afraid of of tiny little plots or or any of these challenges as well but you know it can be really cool out in the in the in the far west Sonoma County, you have to have some elevation to stay above kind of the, the humidity and the wetness. Pinot Noir and Chardonnay are tight bunch clusters, so they're subject to rot and different types of just disease pressure in general. And so, typically, we work really hard to get into the canopy and open things up and let the air flow um, kind of through because you know that's you know that's just a, a common practice these days. And so. Um, Obviously really cool sites, um, but we have vineyards up and down uh, the whole coastline. And we have a very neat distinction of being in a couple vineyards, one in Annapolis, which is in the very, very Northwest corner of Sonoma County, like a stone's throw to Mendocino County. Um, and that is the most northwest vineyard. It's it's called Whistler Vineyard uh, up there. And then on the southern end, we we have the distinction of being the most in the most southwest vineyard, and that's a vineyard called Grand Vaud. Which is in that Petaluma Gap and the translation obviously is big fan because they just get pummeled with that afternoon wind as well too. So we really do span the whole, the whole county. Um, Sonoma is definitely where we kind of laid our roots and decided to, but as the kind of progression and the evolution of the brand has taken shape, um, I don't think we're necessarily uh, confined to Sonoma County as well. We're starting to, um, you know, jump around a little bit um, as everybody knows, we had really horrific fires last harvest that, that we had to deal with. And along with that, um, we went down to Santa Barbara, our friends down in Santa Barbara County in Santa Rita and sourced a little bit of fruit up there. And we're we're doing a little bit of Syrah from Mendocino, and so it's not necessarily you know it's it's definitely our, again our roots are in Sonoma County, but you know anything with that real coastal influence, these really beautiful sites with elevation that are doing something special, um, those are all th- those are all kind of in the works as well too. So. Um, let's see, what else can, uh, let's talk a little bit about the wine. So this this Aries, this 2018 Aries was our, our first vintage. So we have two Sonoma Coast blends um, that the Aries is the, the Chardonnay, Lyra is the Pinot Noir. Uh, the whole Marine Layer project is not very big at all. We produced about 1,500 cases in 2018 and about 1,800 cases in 2019. Um, and The Lyra and the Aries are the bigger blends, but when I say big you know they were 350 to 400 cases, uh, respectively, and so those aren't big and then just below those in terms of the tiers, uh, we have all these vineyard designates and I think the Aries and Lyra really are kind of a really beautiful represent. what I'd like them to be is this really beautiful representation, kind of a sum of all the parts. And you know a lot of people actually gravitate to to, to those because they're they're just delicious. Um, and they have little pieces of, of all these other vineyards, um, whereas, you know, the vineyard designates are, you know, I just love them for kind of their pure expression of the site and what that vineyard brings to. And so we'll be tasting a couple of those today, too. But that's that's kind of the architecture of the brand. Uh, we started a, a sparkling wine program as well, too, because everybody needs bubbles, right? I mean, you can't have a good party without bubbles. So we've started a really small, just a few hundred cases. That takes a little more time. So that's 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 a little ways out. Um, and in 2020, you know, the whole vintage, you know, uh, unbeknownst to a lot of the consumer base out there, we, we didn't lose the whole vintage. And, and we're just really kind of getting our heads around what that looks like, too. So um, we're we're excited about the future. The airy Chardonnay is um, a little bit of, of four, five different vineyards. Um, it's going to have uh, a little bit of Gap's Crown, uh, which is just one of those beautiful, beautiful sites. It's um, a little farther west um, in the Petaluma Gap, but has elevation. It's on the western side of Sonoma Mountain, much rockier soils, just a dynamite site for Chardonnay. You might've seen, you know, a lot of of producers do vineyard designates of of Gap's Crown. And it was the most, I think it was the most highly valued vineyard that ever sold in California history. Um, And it's just a dynamite site. A lot of people know it for for Pinot Noir, but the Chardonnay is just phenomenal. Rob Harris who farms it is a friend. um, And we've since started sourcing from a couple of other of his vineyards. He's just a dynamite grower he, he pretty much knows every vine out there, you know, under his, his taking and, um, and just doesn't just knows his land really, really well. It, um, it, it's a one thing that we like one thing that we have plenty of here in California is sunshine and heat right. And a lot of times I think what's become kind of the idea is is you see all these bigger styles of Chardonnay uh, rich ripe, almost oily, a lot of oak, and those are fine. Obviously, there's a a big consumer base, but that's not what we're looking for. You know, we really want to let that fruit shine. We want to retain that acidity. Um, something that's really kind of clean and focused and and again has a little bit of that tension and has this really kind of first and foremost fruit and then secondarily some of this you know maybe this surly and barrel aging to really complement that so you know we start with kind of the material that we have and then hopefully bring in all these other things that that will really just complement it and kind of lift that vineyard um, uh, the vineyard characteristics up. Um, Chardonnay to me is one of those varieties that you can put a lot of a lot of things at it you can throw a lot of oak and you can go through 100 percent malactic to get the, more of a butteriness um, and so we just chose to kind of really like have a clean expression and I think the Aries shows a lot of that I just you know I tasted the 18 Aries and I, th- I think it's delicious and these wines are young and the other thing too is like we're hoping to that these a- these wines are going to age really really gracefully and so far that's that's shown to be the case and so and I think one of those things is, is kind of the acidity that that really is the backbone of of kind of a lot of wines longevity um, and so we're, we're, we're really happy about that so Gap's Crown Um, Heinz Vineyard uh, which is one of the more iconic uh, Chardonnay vineyards out in West Sonoma County Charlie Heinz is like fourth generation his his family's been farming this land for 150 years uh, and just the sweetest guy and you know that's one of the things about Sonoma County um, that I love versus Napa again I live in Napa but you know Napa can be kind of big business I call it the Disneyland of of the wine world where I see Sonoma as more of this kind of neighborly gentleman farmer, a lot of handshakes, you know, and, and, and more relationship, relational kind of uh, uh, ways of doing business. And again, you know, his, his, his vineyard is just beautiful. It's older, more established, it has a different, it's not pretty, like, you know, there's really teed up beautiful manicured vineyards and pictures of, of Charlie Heinz Vineyard, you know, there, there might be a, a broken down truck or a tractor um, so you know it doesn't it doesn't look like a world-class vineyard but I swear the, the vineyard uh, and his way of managing it is really really beautiful and the wines prove it as well too and it's very very distinctive too and so always it, it's again one of those pressure sites so there's always just a little bit of botrytis which you know I think has become kind of the the characteristic of that and and as 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 a winemaker, I don't shy away from from things like that. And I almost try to just kind of take things for what they are, you know, and really showcase them as well. Too. So um Heinz is gonna be in there. Um we we Uh, where Clint is right now, Scribe uh, in Sonoma, we actually buy a little bit of fruit uh, from their estate as well, which is, which is a really dynamite site as well, too. A little, a tad warmer, but I think it brings that balance. It's kind of the yin to the yang um, as well, too. And then we have um, out in Green Valley, we have uh, that little small Bohemian vineyard, um, which is literally that eight rows and really, really cool. I think, I think Clint's showing you where, the vines out there, if, you, if everybody can see them. That, that's our, th- those are our rows. Um, so yeah, and then Bohemian Vineyard, which is really, really cool, really like just laser acid and just just makes this really nice splash to it. Um, you know, the wines are, or excuse me, the, the fruit is all picked at night by hand, um, and really, usually on the earlier side, we're not looking for a big alcoholic style. Uh, when it gets to the winery, it's, it goes right into the press, uh, really cool. Um, and, you know, it's very gently pressed. And so, you know, as, as we, we use a bladder press, so you imagine a deflated balloon uh, inflating to kind of squish the grapes. And, you know, there's not a lot of rotations and we're not pressing the heck out of it. The harder you press, the more the hard phenolic tannin you get out of it, the more acidity you lose. And so it's a really gentle press cycle. Um, And it's the wine is cold settled overnight in a tank. And then the next day, we just gravity feed it right to the barrels. And it's, you know, settling overnight gets a lot of the like gross solids out um, but we don't mind a little bit of solids too. I think that brings some texture to the wines as well. Um, barrel fermentation is going to naturally bring a lot of that as well too. And so the wines all go through native fermentation. We kind of just let them go on their own. Um, we, we like that. We like things to, to go naturally. And, and we've started uh, using uh, pied de Coups, which is actually going out to the vineyard about five days before grabbing a bucket of grapes and just squishing them with your feet and then closing it up. And naturally that'll start on its own. And what that does is you're taking the, the natural yeast from the vineyard and starting this little micro fermentation, and then that gets going right before you know you bring the grapes in, and then that becomes your inoculum to then you know to get the rest of the bigger lot going. And that's a nice way, and it's a real kind of true true way of, of of doing this concept of native yeast. I think in winery, you know, yeast are everywhere, and when you when you have a winery. There's always naturally a high concentration of yeast everywhere, uh, but particularly in wineries, and so that's our way of kind of really getting the strain from the vineyard as well too. Um, We like a really cool fermentation for all of our Chardonnays, and once it finishes, when it's once it finishes primary fermentation, we'll stir the lees about once every two to three weeks. Um, And you know, I talk about this in kind of a generalities, but really we're looking at each lot individually and kind of making decisions as we go. We taste every time we do all our own work um, i have an assistant amazing assistant winemaker meredith and it's really just the two of us and um you know part of it is kind of if you're if you get to know winemaking personality we have these neuroses where you know you can you can ask somebody to do it and um and maybe not have you just want to do it yourself because you know it's going to be done right and if you're there and you're close to your wines and you're tasting them each time the barrels come down then you kind of have a game plan always going on in the back of your head and so that's a that's a great approach for us and you know this isn't a big project so so we can certainly handle it as well too so Um, you know, so, so the wines, uh, most of them go, I believe in 2018, all of them went through malolactic fermentation. Um, sometimes we'll, we'll add a strain of, of malolactic bacteria. For those of you that don't know, that's, uh, primary fermentation is, is enacted by yeast. Secondary malolactic fermentation is by bacteria. Um, not a bad bacteria, but it essentially takes the malic acid, which we have a high content of, particularly in these cooler climates and converts it to lactic acid. And um, nowadays there's different strains because typically, you know, you think of it a lot more buttery tones and, but you can still achieve complete malactic fermentation um, with certain strains of bacteria that don't express that diacetyl, that really buttery flavor, because that's not necessarily what we're looking for. Um, so along with all this barrel aging and this, 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 uh, this, this barrel stirring, um, you know, you're, you're bringing up the yeast and the lees every time the the leaves are essentially dead yeast cells at that point, and over time, those those yeast cells their cell walls break up and they they release amino acids and peptides um, and these things that kind of bring richness and broadness to to these wines and if we didn't do some of this with no ml and and no lee stirring or anything like that i think the wines would be really kind of sheer um, and just a little too linear and so it just brings a little bit of complexity as well and then you know part of that whole banshee you know project too was, was it was a way for us to really understand our cooperages our our oak barrels and what we wanted to use now we've really kind of distilled that down to you know four or five coopers that we really love that we feel like really um, complement our style of Chardonnay as well too. So um, it's it's not a high percentage of new oak. I think the 2018 Aries was about 30% new. We'll go a little bit higher on some of the the vineyard designates. And um, we also do, so a typical barrel is about 60 gallons. I really love uh, fermenting and aging Chardonnay in double-sized big barrels, uh, which we call punchins. And those are 500 liters or about 130 gallons. And I think there's just a nice evolution with kind of the surface area, to volume uh, ratio there. And it's just, you know, and I'd love to make Aries uh, 100% punchins. It's just at the beginning of the project, you know, you got to buy these things new, and so it'd be too much new oak, right? You know, every year. So every year we're buying a few more. Um, but my kind of overall ambition would be all in punchins for the Aries program too. So, um, so those are the vineyards. I, you know, I hope you like it. That's that's probably one of our more approachable. Uh, Chardonnays, it's going to make it out there a little more. Um, the the vineyard designates only get smaller. So let's move on. Um, I think if you guys want, you guys can go ahead and pour that the second Chardonnay, which is the Gaps Crown, um, and that is you know I talked a little bit about the vineyard. Sorry. Rob,
0: yeah, if you want, uh, just fast forward on the the PowerPoint to the. Oh blog. yeah, I'm
2: sorry, I got I forgot. I'm just sitting here talking. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I think Antoinette. Oops, sorry. Okay, there we go. Gaps crown. I, I think everybody can see that now. Um, so yeah, so you see this. This is a, a nice picture. Um, it's, it's farmed meticulously. You guys can see that. And it's a nice uh, picture of kind of how we get that fog. And this can be, you know, in, in uh, you know, afternoon kind of conditions here. So it'll warm up typically, you know, on, throughout kind of a lot of the vineyards that we work with. Um, you'll get the fog that works its way in in the morning and then that draws back and you get probably three hours of of nice just kind of pure sunshine and then you get that afternoon uh wind coming in through the Bedlam gap that acts as that kind of air conditioner as well too so so you see that gaps ground again a beautiful site uh chardonnay is great it's 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 a It's a 60 acre vineyard and most of it, it, the elevation spans between 600 feet of elevation up to about 1,200 feet of elevation, and we are on—we are typically on uh, some of the higher blocks, which I like. You know, I think we've kind of slowly moved our way up the vineyard, which—which uh, which is nice. Um, It's—it pays off to be friends with the grower there, too. So that's—that's that's great. Gap's Crown, I think, is a little showier of uh, a Chardonnay for us. Uh, it gets a little bit more uh, time in barrel. It's—it's it's a little bit, I think, creamier, but still with that nice acidity um, it has almost you know we, we we like a little bit of that kind of flinty matchstick reduction and i think this vineyard naturally has some of that it kind of reminds me a little bit of those those really nice white burgundies that we love to drink um, the montrachets and, and whatnot and um so this is this is a wine um i think that's going to really age really gracefully A lot of our Chardonnay clones are old heritage clones, so we have uh, one that you see a lot out there, it's called Wente clone it's a really special uh, clone of Chardonnay. Uh, We have a lot of others that are more production based that that will throw a lot more fruit bigger clusters and if you're just pure farming mentality you, you wouldn't be growing Wente because it doesn't set a lot of crop smaller clusters and it tends to throw a lot of hens and chicks and chicks are those smaller berries that, um, you know, that, that, that have aborted seeds within them. And what you have is a lot more concentration in those smaller berries. So we as winemakers love Wente clone, and there's equivalents um, on the Pinot Noir side of things as well too. But Gap's Crown, really, really special site. Um, It's, you know, it, it tends to have a little more Kind of structure and tannin because of that wind anytime you have wind prevailing um the skins of Pinot Noir and Chardonnay tend to toughen up a little bit not such a bad thing you know it brings a little concentration a little more kind of phenolic material and certainly more color to to the red wines too but Gap's Crown is, is really buffered I think just below you know I have pictures you know just below in the towns of, of Petaluma and Roanoke Park know it can be it can be you know 100 degrees down there and when i'm up at you know the top of gaps crown you know it's 75 or 78 degrees so that's it gives you a little bit of an of an idea of of that so definitely that that big coastal influence there so um really really neat chardonnay um it's definitely special to us um somewhere where we're going to continue to to hopefully source um and continue to grow there as well too so um what was the next chardonnay i'm sorry i have this this um yep
0: so uh, we had it listed a little bit differently so we'll i'm sorry we did the aries the gaps crown and now we'll do the charles heinz
2: yeah charles heinz i'm sorry this is not okay there we go so heinz vineyard like i said the vines are not super pretty right but it's it's encompassed by kind of this this coastal forest out there and you know this the, that area is really kind of the bullseye for for Chardonnay and, and Pinot Noir. It's very very west. It's 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 just outside of the town of Occidental um, and technically within within Green Valley. Uh, really beautiful soils. Um, just to go back to because I, I need to mention the soils out at Gap's Crown. They're they're much more volcanic. Rocky, kind of, uh, and a little bit of alluvial soils too, uh, which I think bring their own character. And then out here, one of the things we love kind of out in western Sonoma County is this um, this kind of uh, Gold Ridge profile or series, which is more of a, a marine sedimentary soil. And so if you think about you know, millennials ago where, you know, this, this marine uplift happened and you have all these kind of fo- ground up fossilized soils. So there's actually marine fossils kind of built within. Um, and it's, it can get really reddish as well. There's, there's a little bit of iron content out there, really, really pretty soils. And these gold ridge series, you know, you put in your hand and it just is really light and fluffy and it's just really conducive to, to growing great Chardonnay and Pinot Noir too. Um, the Heinz Vineyard, like I said, really established vines. And when vines get to that age, they really moderate themselves. I think when you plant a young vineyard, you know, it's, I call it that young vine exuberance where, where they'll, they'll want to throw a lot of crop and you got to kind of whack them back and say, Hey, we want you to put your energy to the roots, to your roots and establish yourself as a young vine. Whereas when you kind of hit this balance point, I'm, I'm just going to generalize, you know, six, eight years, um, you know, they've really got their root system established. You don't have to give them so much irrigation because they, they've driven down into more of the water table and they're they're just kind of hit this balance. They also self-limit themselves on the amount of fruit. And they, you know, vines just come into a natural balance within their own life cycle at that point. So um, Heinz is certainly there. It's far, you know, these are, these are 35, 40 year old vines um, out there and the architecture is a little outdated um has a big kind of canopy that overlaps and within that you know you have this microclimate within and so this is really one of those high pressure sites i talked a little bit about the botrytis so um not to rush you guys but when you get into the heights of chardonnay and and in particular in 2018 we had a late september rain followed by uh, a big warm warming trend And it got really, really humid and so, you know, botrytis was definitely a factor, Um, but we mitigated it, you know, we did what we had to, um, but I think it's really distinctive in the wine, it really kind of shows, um, I think, in the '18, it's probably a little more pronounced than than subsequent vintages, but really almost like that kind of chamomile to it. And so it's got um, you know it because of that heat spike, it probably got a little bit riper than I would have liked it to. Um, but nonetheless, it's a it's a really beautiful wine, really distinctive. Um, I've never made a, a Chardonnay quite like it, I, and and I really like it, you know. And, and I think that's the neat thing is when you have a set of of these Marin Layer Chardonnays, you know, it's 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 you know you can play favorites you can choose and if this is not your thing maybe maybe the gaps crown is more your style and and since the 2018 vintage we've brought on a couple more vineyards as well too so Heinz is Heinz is a really really special area uh very cool um typically we can we can harvest as as late as october as well out there too so really really and and charlie is just a hell of a guy too and he's he's selling to the litterize um, the Cruises, um, the Ceratos, you know, literally we share rows and he's got them all flagged out there and everybody, this is one of those prize vineyards that you can wait a whole career long to try to get into as well. So we feel really lucky to be able to work with him. And this is one of those relationships that we've had uh, since since the old Banshee days as well too. So mm-hmm. uh, any questions or anything so far, Antonette? Oh, Okay. Hopefully, I'm not talking too much or you know getting too geeky here. So, and hopefully, everybody's uh, enjoying the wines as well too. So, okay, here I am, uh, the prototypical winemaker shot, right up on the barrels. You know, I think we had somebody come through and say, "Rob, look like a winemaker," so we can take some pictures. So, but uh, this is just a slide that talks a little bit about kind of our our approach to sustainable farming. Um, most of our vineyards that we're working with are are organic. We use no Roundup, um, and you know, so we love kind of just taking the best of of things um, and and learning from what you know people have been doing it for years and taking all of that um, heritage clones. You know, people have been propagating different vine, different different clones and different varieties, and so. Um, we're trying to kind of further that that push and um, that movement as well to, uh, again, really, really gentle handling um, in the vineyard as well to minimal inputs. We use a lot of cover crop to bring balance in. Um, I think typically, you know, agriculture and, and farming in general can can be kind of heavy handed. And we as a, a, as an industry learned, you know, from growing crops and everything that, you know, that'll come back and bite you. And so I think there's been a really good shift in really kind of being more stewards of the land and kind of you know just trying to find ways to, to achieve more balance and in, in, in making. Great wines because I think those are again the best the best expressions of it too. Um, really small lots. Um, Antoinette mentioned four barrels, but I have a couple bottlings coming up in the twenty vintage that are two barrels, so fifty cases. So really, really quite limited, um, and that might be somewhat of a function of of the harvest. But um, again, native yeast, really minimal intervention. Um, all the whites are barrel fermented. Everything is really small lot, so you know everything that we bring in, you know, our biggest lots are going to be five tons or less. Um, And ferments can be anywhere from one ton up to five tons, and we like to especially particularly pinot noir and chardonnay winemakers we really like to make it harder on ourselves we slice and dice things we try different things with with the same plot and so you know by the end of it you know you, you turn one five ton lot into eight different lots and so but that's that's the fun part of it there's definitely kind of a experimental spirit to it all um and and we love that too so um you know really really we're just trying to kind of um again you know showcase showcase the truth too so uh this is baron ziegler uh our ceo uh and kind of the founder of of banshee and marine layer and valkyrie import. And he's he's kind of the leader at the helm um busy guy he's got a lot of different projects and so he's certainly very very involved he um started he's you know this is not we're, we're a pretty young group um he's even younger than i am um and uh you know he he at a very young age just found a passion for wine started collecting first growth of bordeaux at like 19 years old started working for eric solomon on on the east coast and um just found this this passion and and really Started uh, his his step into the wine uh, wine industry as an importer, but you know, obviously, is now a wine producer as well too. So we were just tasting. He's really, really heavily involved um, from beginning to end, and we're starting to get a little bit of acclaim uh, and some some traction out there in the market. This has been a long time coming, and you know, as you can imagine, starting in 2018, we've had our challenges, right? I mean, we had this great concept, this great idea. And, um, you know, 2019, we were just about ready to launch, you know, we had this great packaging, we knew the wines were really solid, we had certainly the effort and the passion behind it, and all of a sudden, whammo, you know, the pandemic hits, and so that's delayed things, but it's also, you know, uh, you know, we try to shed some nice light on a lot of it. We're, we're opening a tasting room, which is going to be a really, really beautiful space and put a lot of resources towards it. And that's opening on the square in Healdsburg um, on, the, on the northern end of, of Sonoma County as well, too. And we've also just acquired our, for the for the very first time, our own winery. So our own winemaking space. Um, it was um, one of Dave Ramey's facilities and it's just a couple blocks away. We've made wine in, in other places in other you know we've essentially called an ap and we've always made wine at other wineries because it's a it's a huge endeavor to go out and buy your own winery and we felt like this this justified it so for the very first time in 2021 we'll have our own wine space and that's you know our company's growing i just hired a couple full-time production folks so it's a it's a really neat time for the brand and our company as well too um just you know just some photo shots (laughs) um and then just some some tech notes on on the wines that you guys have had today. Um, so I'll just kind of you know since I'm talking to it, Rob, there's a couple of questions from the guests if you want to. Yeah, sorry, I'm gonna bring you guys back onto my screen so I can see you. Okay, can can everybody see me or just the just the just my screen? There we go. Okay, all right, shoot them off, Clint.
1: If you look, can you look on the chat? So first question is from Allison. She's asking about native yeasts and does it change over a year, the, the strain of the yeast and what is the effect on the wines?
2: Yeah, uh, I think, yeah, okay. Yeah, Yeah. no, I think there's always um, more risk with native fermentations. You know, certainly they can go, you, you don't know exactly what's fermenting your wine, um, but I, I think the the, the reward uh outweighs the risk. Um, There's certainly a lot of commercial yeasts out there, and they will, they're efficient. You know, we've, we've, um, uh, you know, isolated strains that'll, that'll really do the job quickly and kind of, you know, bring out certain esters or certain tones. But for us, you know, I think it goes back to what I mentioned, and and that what the French term is called pied de coup, uh, where you're getting those grapes from the vineyard a few days before. And again, I think there's just um, a little more lineage to kind of this this idea of, of kind of encompassing the vineyard as well too. So for us, like I, I was saying, the, the native yeast should be directly from the vineyard, from the terroir too. And so we'll do that, we'll harvest a bucket full, get a little starter going and add, and add that in. And and by getting a little bit of a starter, you can kind of smell, you get the, you know, you make sure that, that the fermentation is going, going well, um, you know, we're caught throughout, fermentation and harvest we're constantly smelling tasting you can tell when things start to go sideways or if you have angry yeast trying to ferment you know they'll tell you you know they'll do the off aromas or whatever it is but yeah we love native fermentations they tend to go a lot slower because you're starting with such a, a smaller cell count um, so the heat doesn't build up. Like I said, those, those commercial yeast, you dump it in and melt, they're, they're meant, they're bred to, to eat a lot of sugar and convert uh, to alcohol very efficiently. Whereas this is, you know, a little, uh, a little slower, a little cooler, which is kind of in my mind, an ideal fermentation. And it brings in different characteristics. You know, I think it brings in um a little more diversity into the the flavor and aroma profile as well too
1: yeah i mean you can just think of it yeast are and it's like animals all animals have different smells to them and it definitely adds um aroma but also texture and so and it's an extension of terroir right we speak a lot about terroir and soils and climate and you know rivers and all that but uh yeast strains are definitely a part of the terroir and then there's another question about um michael asked ryan you saw my link for the text sheets okay um and then michael there's uh or is asking about the fires can you talk about the fires and how it affected production maybe
2: yeah no absolutely boy. you know i mean if it's not earthquakes or whatever you know wildfires or you know floods and we're just waiting for you know alarm of like flying monkeys attacking here soon maybe this harvest who knows um but you know and here we are in the middle of a drought here in california as well too so uh, but the fires were, were definitely a real thing you know going back to 2017 uh in sonoma that was you know a really horrific fire um, which actually for us started later in the season so we had most of our fruit in um in 2017 and we've had, you know, we had a Mendocino fire um, and a, a fire up in Lake County, just north of Napa. So we've dealt with some kind of fire in, in some capacity every single year, but nothing like last year in 2020, right? So it started here in Napa and um, the glass fire up just up north and it again jumped and exploded. And this time, you know, it was much earlier it was right at the onset of harvest. And so there was no varieties that were spared. Um, you know, every, you had to mitigate it really, really well. Um, we have a brand up in Oregon, up in Willamette Valley as well. And they, they, they've not had the kind of same fire, uh, kind of situations as we have in California. And so then those fires started up there and then the second fire in Sonoma started later in the season. And so the whole West coast, it seemed like was on fire. Um, so I guess for, for good or bad, you know, we've had some experience on how to mitigate it. Um, I think first and foremost, you just, you know, the the humane thing is to get out and check out, check with growers, talk to people, you know, check on their safety and their welfare and their families and everything else. And, you know, really kind of working with growers to say, okay, hey, where are we at? Um, I think that, you know, it had a lot to do with kind of proximity of the fire and then what was burning. I think in 2017, the fires moved into more urban environments. So you had different, you know, wood structure fires. Um, Whereas this year was more brush uh, kind of uh, forest fire as well, too, but still a lot of live ash as well. And um, it was it was, you know, it it really kind of just happened so quickly. And hopefully, you know, I think California as a state is putting a lot more effort into kind of being just prepared for it. Uh, But we as an industry certainly, you know, are putting a lot towards it. You know, the Australians have certainly seen a bit of it. Um, so, you know, we talked to all of our growers. Um, there were certain cases where we just didn't feel like, break, you know, spending the money. There's, there's kind of several things feeding into it. You know, the farmers, the, the vineyard growers um, have all put in all their inputs and all their costs at that point. So, so all the costs are sunk, right? And, but to the decision of whether to pick or not and further, you know, because you know, harvesting the fruit is not cheap and then, you know, actually making the wine for something that could be just a lost cause, you know, you have to have that, that tough conversation. And so, you know, we really tried to stay ahead of it, um, with some compassion as well Too um, crop insurance, you know, was certainly, you know, at the top of the discussion list. Um, and some people took that route and, you know, like, like anything, insurance policies cover some things, not everything. And so you really got to dive into the fine print as well too. So it was like, you know, and we are working, you know, with the whole West coast, we have, know 60 different growers so it's a lot of phone calls right so you know we stayed ahead of it i have a winemaker up in oregon too that you know they were like a deer in headlights they didn't know and luckily you know i called morty on that sunday morning and i said hey dude go like start calling all the growers go grab samples start getting what we do essentially is you can mimic um, you can do a micro ferment like a bucket ferment and then there was there's ways of analyzing things. There's outside labs where you can kind of see if there's smoke we, we really took kind of two precursors and measured those as a uh, guaiacol and, and 4-methylguaiacol as kind of the standardized, like, what are your levels? Problem is, is those things are naturally in barrels. Um, when we char when we, when we our barrels as well, those are kind of natural components. Um, and, you know, in a variety like Syrah, it has some of that kind of smoky character anyway. So, we had to make sure that it was a really pure sample. I think what we've learned is it, it, it's not just those two things as well. Those are t- measuring two kind of flavor components, but there's a textural piece to it. I think certainly in some of these wines, you get that really ashy kind of palette. And it's, you know, for for lack of a better term, it's like licking an ashtray, you know, and you just can taste it and it's just not a good thing. And so, you know, but we had to measure it with somehow to make these kind of real real time decisions on the fly. So, not very easy, you know, we've we've made it through. I think there's there's a lot of, you know, we I feel really good with our 20 vintage there's, you know, we brought in probably about 35 to 40% of what we would have brought in. We actually brought in some fruit before the fires and that's to our benefit that just by pure timing that we bring in, we have such early sites within our style of wine, um, you know, the sparkling wine that we started pro, our program was obviously before, but, you know, there's definitely some stuff that we brought in um, that, that we're not going to bottle. And that's just, that's just part of, of the game that we play. And, um, and so, you know, it's been a lot of evaluation and kind of looking through, and sometimes it doesn't even come out until later in the life of the wine as well too. There's, there's, a these, these smoky compounds are in a, they're, they're glycosylated sorry to get so kind of chemistry focused but so they're bound to sugars and then once the fermentation happens they're released into a free form and so all of a sudden then they appear too so that's why we're doing all these bucket ferments to really see and try to evaluate it as well too so but it's all happening really fast it's hot it's smoky the grapes are getting riper and you know the labs were getting backed up because everybody it's not an easy test to run and it's expensive And so they were, you know, really got, they got, they were 30 days backed up. And so it's like, okay, well that, you can't base a picking decision on a, on a vineyard that you need to make a decision now on, you know, with this analysis, it's just not really, you know, that's not functional. So, yeah, so, I think what what I've learned as a winemaker, um, certain varieties have uptake, you know, it's a physiological thing, Um, whether it's live ash or smoke in the air. I think it's an uptake of the vine through its kind of physiology of the wine and and you don't. I. I just. We just haven't seen it as an industry as bad on white wines, and so I think that's a little bit of a saving grace. I think Pinot Noir is a lot more sensitive to it. Um, I've been told I don't make a lot of Zinfandel, but I've been told that Zinfandel is is less the case. So I think it's variety by variety, and I don't know that we've kind of really wrapped our heads on on kind of the 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 the, the mechanism of of what uh, why it's affected on on certain varieties or not. But um, there's you know there's there's this the snake oil salesman out there that'll say, hey, I can fix it. I have this filter that it's gonna do it. And we've looked at it all, we've trialed it all. And really, you know, whether it helps or not is is in the first place a, a big question. But then secondarily, it just strips the wine and it's just a shell of the wine that you started with. And so, and a lot of people were like, you know, wash your grapes with ozone and, you know, you had all these crazy ideas, which is all good, right? I mean, sometimes you, you might hit a home run there, but I don't think that there's a, there's a perfect kind of uh, curative measure uh, for, for any of it. Um, but, you know, you just deal with it. Um, I think, you know, I'm really confident. That's why we're just not bottling much in the 20 vintage. So there's, there's a scarcity, but I will say the ones that we do have uh, are really beautiful, um, and, you know, I'm not afraid to talk about it, you know, I think that it should be a topic of a conversation, and it's a real thing, you just don't know, it's become the norm, um, and so I think kind of staying ahead of things is, was my, was my kind of way of, of, of dealing with it, and um, yeah, we didn't put any new wood uh, in the wines, uh, we transferred the wines, we, 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 Figured out that the wines were clean. Then we transfer them to to the right amount of oak as well in twenty. So yeah, I mean, I think if anything, you know, California winemaking, you gotta you gotta be on your toes, Um, and you know, Mother Nature has a way of throwing a lot of different things at you, Um, and it makes us in the end, it makes us better winemakers. I honestly, you know, I I think that there's a uh, there's a uh, there's a there's too much grapes out there in general. Um, And so I think if anything, there's a lot of bulk line out there. And so what like companies started doing was they were, they went out and bought a lot of bulk line that, that was in excess out there. And because they didn't know if they were going to lose a vintage, and we, the, the worst thing as a company or as a you know whatever as a business plan is, is kind of losing continuity and in inventory, right? And so that brought some balance um, to the whole bulk and, and kind of some balance to to a lot of things. So you know, uh, hopefully we we don't have that. You know, right now we could use a wetter season. We're we're in the middle of a drought, and we're mitigating our farm plans on you know water use. Um, and really eliminating any kind of, you know, weeds or, or growth in the middle of the vineyards because we just don't want that competition. We don't want that water going anywhere but, but to our vine. And so you really kind of have to adapt to things. There's not one recipe in, any, in every year that, that you can live by. I think you got to learn from these things and really kind of, um, you know, just adapt to, to what the season brings too. So, yeah, that's a little more on, on the smoke. So I hope I, I touched on that well enough. Uh, Any other, yeah, Yeah. any other questions?
0: Um, Well, not a question, but uh, I'm not sure if I missed part of the presentation or not. But did we touch on Lyra Vineyard at all for the Pinot?
2: No, no, let's jump into that. Sorry, I I told you I can kind of keep going (laughs) on. All right, am I on uh, screen sharing again?
0: Uh, We don't see it yet.
2: Okay, bear with me here, sorry. So Lyra is kind of the equivalent to, um, to the Aries. So that's our Sonoma Coast Pinot Noir blend. Um, and the 2018, I just opened, uh, we just opened, Clint and I just opened a bottle uh, yesterday. And it's really singing to me right now. It's, it's really, uh, it's, it's everything I could ever ask it to be. Um, excuse me. Sorry, guys.
0: Take your time, no rush
2: um there we go okay so and and, uh, i'm on screen sharing
0: not yet okay i lost the whole thing there okay here we go here we go how's that perfect thank you
2: Okay, there you go. So Lyra is, is the uh, kind of counterpart to Aries. It's, it's a blend of, of all these great little vineyard sites that we work with. Um, you know, the whole concept of, you know, I explained uh, marine layer. And then, you know, Lyra and Aries are, are these summer constellations in the California sky. And so we thought that was a, a great kind of uh, just play, play on it as well, too. Um, and we started in 2020, we're going to have one. We're adding a new one that's called Hydra. And that's um, uh, the northern sky. Uh, it's a little darker. It, it's the animal is a multi-headed kind of serpent or dragon. And the concept behind that is is we're, it's a it's a it's a it's a red wine this year in 2020. It's a Grenache. Syrah base blend and it's going to be ever evolving so every year it might change a little bit very small amounts but it, again it allows us to play and have a different thing that we can play with we've gone down to the Santa Cruz mountains which again a very maritime influenced area and we're going to play with a little bit of Cabernet Sauvignon and some Cab Franc as well too so excited about that um, but Lyra is that that uh, you know that pure expression of really kind of west coastal uh, Pinot Noir I think you know the you, you taste the wine hopefully everybody's got it in their glass um it's really this buoyant kind of red fruited profile really bright i think you know really brambly um again kind of um it has these really kind of floral tones um again that that nice backbone of acidity this long and, and also texture as well too right because i think you know in some of these terms it as I describe it, it I can describe it as kind of a a lean wine, but I think that it has really nice texture to it as well. Um, It has kind of the sweet and sweet opulent entry as well. Um, And, you know, so in in the Pinot Noir winemaking, again, very gentle handling, um, picked at night, very low yields. Um, and so we'll, we'll de-stem some of it, but we also do quite a bit of whole cluster fermentation, which is just the, throwing in the whole cluster of grapes and so the stems and everything. And it's a, it's, a, it's a fairly common practice, but I think what you get with that is a little more structure, a little more spiciness, a little more complexity in the wines too. And certain vineyards will call for more of it. Um, other ones just don't have that. Um, but I think overall, I really like that balance point on the Lyra, it's overall as a blend, it's about 30, 30% whole cluster, but really this is, you know, this has some, some very, you know, we went all the way out to Freestone Occidental, which is uh, essentially about three miles to the Pacific Ocean, it has some of that Annapolis vineyard, the Grand Bond. so it's going to have, it's kind of the sum of all the parts, and um, it's, it's in a really beautiful place, um, I think a, a really nice expression of kind of Sonoma Sonoma Coast, Pinot Noir as well too. Both the Aries and Lyra are on roughly a, a 12 month barrel aging cycle. And then the vineyard does can be anywhere from 14 to 16 months. So we just, you know, I'd like to give those a little more time, uh, a little more evolution. Um, but I think, you know, capturing freshness um, and that kind of spirit of the vineyard is paramount in, in, in all the marine layer wines as well too, so. Um, I really like it. I hope you guys too do too. So, and Lyra again is going to be kind of what you see um, a little more out there too. So, um, Gap's Crown. Um, sorry, realizing that we, I've already rambled for, for <laughs> about an hour too. So Gap's Crown, the uh, Pinot Noir. Uh, is kind of the counterpart to the Chardonnay, obviously. This, our block out there, our rows, are really high elevation slope kind of facing out to, to the, the Pacific Ocean there, to the west. Um, Gap's crowning. Style of Pinot Noir. I think you're going to see quite a bit of difference there. It's it's a little bit headier, It's a little richer. It's kind of the you know um, if if Lira is the the ballerina, then then Gap's Crown I might describe as as kind of the weightlifter. You know, it's got a little broader shoulder style. It's a little darker fruit profile. It's maybe a little bluer um, in fruit, but you know the the it's still got that that nice nice acid. We it's this is all clone eight two eight um which is a, a heritage clone from France um that's been cleaned up it's it's really beautiful it, ha- it it retains its acidity really nicely um and and ripens a little bit earlier really tight clusters throw gives off a lot of color a lot of structure as well too and so I like it for all those like I said I just try to capture what the fruit and the vineyard is giving and kind of let it take take its own personality. And so Gap's Crown was not um, a site where I use a lot of whole cluster fermentation. Um, I just kind of let, you know, that fruit profile really kind of come to the top too. But it's a pretty showy wine. I think that people, you know, who, who really kind of like, like um, kind of wines that pop will gravitate towards Gap's Crown as well too and again i think it, it's going to age really gracefully as well too so not a whole lot um and and you know gaps crown is, is a dynamite site for pinot noir um it's it's it will continue to, to play there for sure so um yeah this is just the like i said we're opening a tasting room um it's really we've we've hired a, a firm Called the Homeboys, who've done exactly where Clint uh, was. The Scribe Guys are friends, but they're amazing uh, design and architectural firm, and it's going to be quite an experience, um, like nothing else in Healdsburg. Um, it's it's it really kind of gives this kind of coastal. Uh, feel to it and I think if that along with the wines and, and the quality of the wines and the atmosphere it's it's going to be quite experience. it's a 3,000 square foot space very loungy really really beautiful um, and I think it's going to really help to kind of showcase the style of wines too so that's opening in late July so I invite everybody to come on out from DC and join us uh, ping us, uh, through, through Antoinette. Um, we can set something special, you know, reference it and just say, Hey, I was, I was on that zoom tasting and and I'm usually in the neighborhood. So I'd love to pop over and say hello. Um, and check us out, marinelyourwines.com. Um, you can follow us on Instagram as well too. Lots of fun stuff and happenings. Um, you know, we try to, um, keep, keep, um, kind of our consumer base up to date with, things that are happening out in the vineyard and you'll see new stuff coming online with the winery as well too so so a really exciting time and we got some amazing new wines coming um with the 19 vintage uh as well as the 20 vintage and like I said it's a it's a constant evolution it's a really fun project for me to be involved with from from the startup um from from everything and really have something to kind of wrap my arms around so it's it's been a fun project and yeah I hope I hope you guys have all enjoyed kind of uh me rambling and and tasting the lions throughout all of this. So um, yeah, I appreciate your time uh, on this on this Thursday evening. Excellent. There any, is there any any other questions, Antoinette?
0: Uh, no questions. Just a very firm statement by Allison that uh, she and Mary will see you out there in August. Okay, so it's, a sure it's a
2: date. It's a date. Hold hold me to it for sure. I uh, love that
0: yeah so thanks so much that was uh, an amazing uh, presentation and i don't say that lightly um please do you have any uh, closing remarks before we uh, we say good night
2: no just you know really thank you um you know this is a fun project you know we're we're going to keep pushing the limits on a lot of different levels so you know keep an eye on us we're, we're, we're a tiny little project but um and we're never going to grow by leaps and bounds. We, we have other things that are meant for that, other projects, but this is our little baby. And, and, and hopefully if you make it out and you really want to, you know, um, have a true expression of, of Sonoma Coast, uh, Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, or Coastal Influence, other varieties, we get a lot of exciting stuff coming online. So keep an eye out for us in and, and restaurants and, and, and online or, or wherever you might see us. So thanks again for your time.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks, Rob, for taking the time to join us tonight. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Ben, I don't know where you guys are, but that sunset in the reflection there is absolutely gorgeous. We're we're (laughs) in exotic Columbia Heights, so not too far. Ah. far. Absolutely beautiful. So thanks, everyone. Wishing everyone a wonderful evening. I'll end the meeting for all, and we'll see you all soon. Thank you. Good Good night, guys.